You are listening to Unraveling Rachel. This is a podcast all about this journey that we call life and how we can live it more authentically so that it sucks less and feels better. Hey there, friends. Today's episode is going to be a continuation of reading from Pema Chodron's Hard Advice for Difficult Times. And I'm moving right along to chapter three, since we read chapters one and two in the last episode. Chapter three is titled, This Very Moment is the Perfect Teacher. And just like the reading of chapters one and two, I recorded this one a little while back. And when I went to listen to it again, it was just so perfect, exactly what I needed to hear. And I have a feeling that if you're listening, it probably will be for you too. And um, so I'm just going to jump right into the reading and then stick around at the end. And I'm going to talk about a um, very moment that was a really great teacher for me that I had recently as I was settling into my new place. So I hope you enjoy. This is um, chapter three of um, When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times by Pema Chodron. And um, the title of this chapter is This Very Moment is the Perfect Teacher. We can meet our match with a poodle or with a raging guard dog. But the interesting question is, what happens next? Generally speaking, we regard discomfort in any form as bad news. But for practitioners or spiritual warriors, people who have a certain hunger to know what is true, feelings like disappointment, embarrassment, irritation, resentment, anger, jealousy, and fear, instead of being bad news, are actually very clear moments that teach us where it is that we're holding back. They teach us to perk up and lean in when we feel we'd rather collapse and back away. They're like messengers that show us, with terrifying clarity, exactly where we're stuck. This very moment is the perfect teacher, and, lucky for us, it's with us wherever we are. Those events and people in our lives who trigger our unresolved issues could be regarded as good news. We don't have to go hunting for anything. We don't need to try and create situations in which we reach our limit. They occur all by themselves with clockwork regularity. Each day... We're given many opportunities to open up or shut down. The most precious opportunity presents itself when we come to the place where we think we can't handle whatever is happening. It's too much. It's gone too far. We feel bad about ourselves. There's no way we can manipulate the situation to make ourselves come out looking good. No matter how hard we try, it just won't work. Basically, life has just nailed us. It's as if you just looked at yourself in the mirror and you saw a gorilla. The mirror's there, it's showing you, and what you see looks bad. You try to angle the mirror so you'll look a little better, but no matter what you do, you still look like a gorilla. That's being nailed by life. The place where you have no choice except to embrace what's happening or push it away. Most of us do not take these situations as teachings. We automatically hate them. We run like crazy. We use all kinds of ways to escape. All addictions stem from this moment when we meet our edge and we just can't stand it. We feel we have to soften it, pad it with something, and we become addicted to whatever it is that seems to ease the pain. In fact, the rampant materialism that we see in the world stems from this moment. 
There's so many ways that have been dreamt up to entertain us away from the moment, soften its hard edge, deaden it so we don't have to feel the full impact of the pain that arises when we cannot manipulate the situation to make us come out looking fine. Meditation is an invitation to notice when we reach our limit and to not get carried away by hope and fear. Through meditation, we're able to see clearly what's going on with our thoughts and emotions, and we can also let them go. What's encouraging about meditation is that even if we shut down, we can no longer shut down in ignorance. We see very clearly that we're closing off. That in itself begins to illuminate the darkness of ignorance. We're able to see how we run and hide and keep ourselves busy so that we never have to let our hearts be penetrated. And we're also able to see how we could open and relax. Basically, disappointment, embarrassment, and all those places where we just cannot feel good are a sort of death. We've just lost our ground completely. We are unable to hold it together and feel that we're on top of things. Rather than realizing that it takes death for there to be birth, we just fight against the fear of death. Reaching our limit is not some kind of punishment. It's actually a sign of health that... When we meet the place where we are about to die, we feel fear and trembling. A further sign of health is that we don't become undone by fear and trembling, but we take it as a message that it's time to stop struggling and look directly at what's threatening us. Things like disappointment and anxiety are messengers telling us that we're about to go into unknown territory. Our bedroom closet can be unknown territory for some of us. For others, it's going into outer space. What evokes hope and fear for me is different from what brings it up for you. My aunt reaches her limit when I move a lamp in our living room. My friend completely loses it when she has to move to a new apartment. My neighbor is afraid of heights. It doesn't really matter what causes us to reach our limit. The point is that sooner or later, it happens to all of us. The first time I met Trungpa Rinpoche was with a class of fourth graders who asked him a lot of questions about growing up in Tibet and about escaping from the Chinese communists to India. One boy asked him if he was ever afraid. Rinpoche answered that his teacher had encouraged him to go to places like graveyards that scared him, and to experiment with approaching things he didn't like. Then he told a story about traveling with his attendants to a monastery he'd never seen before. As they neared the gates, he saw a large guard dog with huge teeth and red eyes. It was growling ferociously and struggling to get free from the chain that held it. The dog seemed desperate to attack them, and Rinpoche got closer. He could see its bluish tongue, and spittle sprang from its mouth. They walked past the dog, keeping their distance, and entered the gate. Suddenly the chain broke, and the dog rushed at them. The attendant screamed and froze in terror. Rinpoche turned and ran as fast as he could, straight at the dog. The dog was so surprised that he put his tail between his legs and ran away. We can meet our match with a poodle or with a raging guard dog, but the interesting question is, what happens next? The spiritual journey involves going beyond hope and fear, stepping into unknown territory, continually moving forward. The most important aspect of being on the spiritual path may be to just keep moving. Usually, when we reach our limit, we feel exactly like Rinpoche's attendants and freeze in terror. Our bodies freeze, and so do our minds. How do we work with our minds when we meet our match? Rather than indulge or reject our experience, we can somehow let the energy of emotion, the quality of what we're feeling, pierce us to the heart. This is easier said than done, but it's a noble way to live. 
it's definitely the path of compassion, the path of cultivating human bravery and kind-heartedness. In the teachings of Buddhism, we hear about egolessness. It sounds difficult to grasp. What are they talking about anyway? When the teachings are about neuroses, however, we feel right at home. That's something we really understand. But egolessness? When we reach our limit, if we aspire to know that place fully, which is to say that we aspire to neither indulge nor repress, a hardness in us will dissolve. We will be softened by the sheer force of whatever energy arises, the energy of anger, the energy of disappointment, the energy of fear. When it's not solidified in one direction or another, that very energy pierces us to the heart and it opens us. This is the discovery of egolessness. It's when all our usual schemes fall apart. Reaching our limit is like finding a doorway to sanity and the unconditional goodness of humanity, rather than meeting an obstacle or a punishment. The safest and most nurturing place to begin working this way is during formal meditation. On the cushion, we begin to get the hang of not indulging or repressing and of what it feels like to let the energy just be there. That is why it's so good to meditate every single day and continue to make friends with our hopes and fears again and again. This sows the seeds that enable us to be more awake in the midst of everyday chaos. It's a gradual awakening, and it's cumulative, but that's actually what happens. We don't sit in meditation to become good meditators. We sit in meditation so that we'll be more awake in our lives. The first thing that happens in meditation is that we start to see what's happening. Even though we still run away and we still indulge, we see what we're doing clearly. One would think that our seeing clearly would immediately make it just disappear, but it doesn't. For quite a long time, we just see it clearly. To the degree that we're willing to see our indulging and our repressing clearly, they begin to wear themselves out. Wearing out is not exactly the same as going away. Instead, a wider, more generous, more enlightened perspective arises. How we stay in the middle, between indulging and repressing, is by acknowledging whatever arises without judgment, letting the thoughts simply dissolve, and then going back to the openness of this very moment. That's what we're actually doing in meditation. Up come all these thoughts, but rather than squelch them or obsess with them, we acknowledge them and just let them go. Then we come back to just being there. As Sogi Alvrim Poche puts it, we simply bring our mind back home. After a while, that's how we relate with hope and fear in our daily lives. Out of nowhere, we stop struggling and relax. We stop talking to ourselves and come back to the freshness of the present moment. This is something that evolves gradually, patiently, over time. How long does this process take? I would say it takes the rest of our lives. Basically, we're continuing opening further, learning more, connecting further with the depths of human suffering and human wisdom, coming to know both those elements thoroughly and completely, and becoming more loving and compassionate people. And the teachings continue. There's always more to learn. We're not just complacent old fogies who've given up and aren't challenged by anything anymore. At the most surprising times, we still meet those ferocious dogs. We might think, as we become more open, that it's going to take bigger catastrophes for us to reach our limit. The interesting thing is that as we open more and more, it's the big ones that immediately wake us up and the little things that catch us off guard. 
However, no matter what the size, color, or shape is, the point is still to lean toward the discomfort of life and see it clearly rather than to protect ourselves from it. In practicing meditation, we're not trying to live up to some kind of ideal. Quite the opposite. We're just being with our own experience, whatever it is. If our experience is that sometimes we have some kind of perspective and sometimes we have none, then that's our experience. If sometimes we can approach what scares us and sometimes we absolutely can't, then that's our experience. This very moment is the perfect teacher and it's always with us is really a most profound instruction. Just seeing what's going on. That's the teaching right there. We can be with what's happening and not dissociate. Awakeness is found in our pleasure and in our pain, our confusion and our wisdom, available in each moment of our weird, unfathomable, ordinary lives. All right, friends. So what did you think about that reading? Some good stuff in there, right? Um, So I said that I would share with you a um, moment that I encountered that was a very perfect teacher for me as I was doing some settling into my new place. Um, And it happened just a few days after I had re-listened to this reading and even went back and reread it because sometimes things sink in differently for me when I look at the words versus when I hear them. So if that's true for you too, I really encourage you to grab a copy of the book. That way you can see it and underline things and go back and revisit it when you feel like you're called to. So... I was settling into my place. I had like moved everything in and just like tucked things into places so that it appeared to be neat, but like realistically, I had no clue where things were. I had no clue what was in what IKEA box stuffed where, what was under my bed versus what was in my closet. So it made my days difficult finding things. And um, I had a little bit of a staycation recently because I canceled my trip going home to Ohio because of the uh, snowstorm. So I used that time to do a little organizing and get everything in its proper place. And so Um, normally I listen to like a podcast or music when I do something like this, but everyone's been talking about the Netflix show with Marie Kondo. And so I thought, oh, hey, I'll put that on while, while I do this. And it was interesting watching, like I, I had this moment where I was kind of watching and she had people pulling out all of their clothes and pulling out like everything and putting it in a pile so they can get that sense of like how much they have and I was still kind of early on in the bringing pulling things out and sorting things process and I was trying to do it little by little so I wouldn't get to that like point of overwhelm and I was watching and I observed this and I was like wow that's that's intense and then I just went about doing my thing and then um all all the while the show's playing in the background and then like a couple hours in, I take a look around my room and suddenly I was like, oh my God, I'm hungry. I want potato chips. Potato chips sound really good. And this is a thing for me. When I get overwhelmed, when I get like, I don't know what to do next or it's too much or an uncomfortable emotion is coming up, I will get sometimes hungry, usually snacky and I want something salty and crunchy. And then I can just, if I choose to go there and go to the bag of potato chips or pretzels or popcorn or whatever, I can like, I mean, I could just like mindlessly eat it all. 
And I had this moment of like, I don't know, like not deja vu, but just this, like it hit me. Like I was feeling that feeling of overwhelm and anxiety that I had observed people going through and it was hard. And because it was hard and because I was like overwhelmed with everything that was in front of me, I just wanted to avoid it. And that's what Pema Chodron talks about in this chapter, that all addictions stem from this moment, that present moment, when we meet our edge and we just can't stand it. We need to turn away. We need to run to comfort in something, you know, potato chips, wine, pot, some other drug, a lover, um, whatever it is. It's We're turning away from what's right there in front of us. And for me, what was right there in front of me was a shit ton of stuff (laughs) that was like, where did this come from? Why have I been dragging it around for so long? And why do I have so much trouble getting rid of it? And all of those things have stories and meanings and should'ves and would'ves and could'ves and, you know, um, a lot of feelings came up of like, um, why did I buy that? And how wasteful and, um, I was kind of hard on myself um, through that process, and I did actually stop, and even though I realized what was happening, I was like, you know what? A little break will be okay, and I'm going to have a few chips, and um, I did finish the bag, but in my defense, there was not that much left in it, which is probably good um, (laughs) because I may have finished it anyway, and I know that about me. Um, That's something that for me, it has been an addictive an addiction, I guess, an addictive quality, an addictive pattern for a lot of my life is that like when it gets hard or if I feel lonely or if I'm sad, like I'll turn towards food. Uh, it, it takes my focus away from the things that I don't want to focus on. It dulls um, that edge that uh, I can't stand. So anyway, that is a story there about um, me meeting my edge in a very kind of funny way um, while I was organizing my place and having like a, I don't know, deja vu is not the right word. If somebody knows the right word, let me know. Um, That moment when it was like, wow, this was like me watching the people have that feeling before. Um, So I'm curious. if you have an awareness of like any sort of habitual thing that you do when you come up against your edge, uh, how do you turn away from the present moment or how have you learned to lean into it? Um, and I, I do, uh, lean into it. Um, I did go to chips there and give myself the benefit of a break, but, um, it's a habit that I have turned away from, uh, more often than not in recent years. Um, and it's been really good for me and, um, probably a reason that I don't weigh as much as I used to because, um, I deal with things instead of burying it with food, which is something that I am sure I will talk about, um, at another time. But I think that that's pretty much sums up everything I wanted to say about that chapter three reading. Hi again, my friends. So I am back because I have a few more things that I'd like to add to this episode. Some things that 
I was thinking about, um, actually, as I was listening to another podcast, um, that I really love someone that has inspired me and I found her through just lively. Her name is Katie Dale bout and her podcast is let it out. And, um, I'm not even sure which episode number this is from. I will put it in the show notes. Um, but anyway, in it, she was interviewing this creative woman and the whole, the whole episode's really good. But at the end, she talks about feeling your feelings, which is something she talks about a lot that I really appreciate because I, even though I have always considered myself an emotional feeling person, I realized that feeling my feelings was really hard. And that is exactly what this chapter is talking about, where we meet our edge and we turn away from it. We turn away from the feelings. The feelings become so strong and and overwhelming that we don't want to feel them. And so we go to something else. And in my case, it's often potato chips to avoid feeling feelings of guilt and overwhelm. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'll never get this done. Um, And that's just in relation to that mess on my floor that I was looking at that I needed to sort through. But, um, the feelings are different and the same in, you know, whatever situation they're coming up in there, they're different in that it might be anger. It might be rage. It might be disappointment. It could be feeling not good enough. It could be overwhelm, sadness, but whatever they are, they're the same in that they're so intense that we just, don't want to feel them. So we turn to something else. We turn to food or alcohol or running or actually, this is going to sound crazy, but even even things like meditation and yoga that are so healthy and so good for us, they can also be coping mechanisms that help us escape our feelings rather than actually diving into them and feeling into them. Um, And that diving into the feelings and feeling them, it's really, it's still really hard for me, even with this awareness of knowing when I'm coming up on my edge, knowing when I'm getting to that point where it's just so intense that I want to check out how do I not check out? What is it that, (laughs) what is it? How does one feel their feelings? How do I feel the feelings? It's a a question I'm um, learning the answers to in my everyday experience. And so far what I know is that feeling the feelings is best to do in the moment. And um, it's best to not react. Reacting, I think, is something that I confused with feeling my feelings for a long time. But that's actually not feeling our feelings ourselves, but rather that reaction is a way of taking our feelings out of us and making someone else feel them for us. So that often comes out, that often comes out, I think, in the form of like frustration and anger. And when we, you know, I mean, we've all done this and we've all had this done to us when we snap at someone or someone snaps at us and we're like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, what did I do to provoke that? And really, 
it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with whoever it was snapping, snapping because there was something else going on inside that they didn't want to feel. So they're going to, you know, basically like leak that out onto the world. And this is a whole nother conversation, I think. But um, in my opinion, so much of the world's hurt is coming from people not being able to process their feelings within themselves and recognize those emotions and process them and let them go in a way that's healthy. Instead, it's like, it's like radiation. They, it gets held in unacknowledged, it festers. And then like, it gets like just leaked out onto other people. Other people don't understand it. They take it on. And so really like emotional awareness and understanding that we are living this life as spiritual beings, emotional beings, and and learning how to work with that instead of just being like heads down, got to get life done, must achieve, must do this, must appear good, must please um, others, must live up to certain standards that I seem to have set for myself must, um, you know, be strong and stoic and not show emotion because emotion is weak. It's just, it's so unhealthy and such a a cause of stress and pain in our world. So anyway, that's relevant, but a little off track from where I wanted to go. And I was hoping to keep this edition short, but, um, you know what, I'm going to say, what I need to say and express what needs to be expressed through me, what I'm feeling right now. Um, and Hey, maybe that's processing emotions. Cause I do feel really, um, strongly about this and it's something that I value and, am um, trying to live. Um, so Katie Dalebout has kind of a, <laughs> gross, maybe, uh, I don't, I don't care. I'll talk about poop and and kind of like a way that uh, something that makes sense, like an analogy for this feeling of the feelings. It's like when you have to poop, when you've got to poop, like when you got to go, you got to go. And if it like, it's healthiest for us to like feel that sensation of, Oh, I got to go and then go and get rid of it. And it's like, that literally is our body saying bye-bye to things that are toxic to us. And the best time to poop is when you have to go, but it's not always the ideal time to poop in this kind of world that we live in because we might be driving to work or at work uh, in a meeting or, um, you know, standing in line at the grocery store. Whatever it is, it's just, you know not the time to do it, but it's best to then, you know, find the time, make the time, do it at the next available time and literally get that shit out as soon as possible before it makes you feel worse. And I don't know, you know, if you've ever been constipated, when you hold that shit in, it affects your whole body and and mind and it doesn't feel good. So, in a similar way, emotions are, are, are doing that for us. Like if we, when we feel the emotion, it's best 
to to really feel it, acknowledge it, and like let it run its course and get it out. Not necessarily in a reactive way, but in a way that like actually um, healthfully processes it through through our body. And, and, and again, this is something that I'm learning. Um, so if anyone has any tips or thoughts or experiences with this, please share, please reach out, message me, um, on Instagram or, or whatever. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but then if we don't let those feelings out, and sometimes we also, we can't feel those feelings in the moment because it, we could be too reactive. It just may not be the right place. And, and often I think when we first feel those feelings, if we're not accustomed to processing them in a healthy way, the initial inclination is to be just very reactive. And so if that's the case, it's better to like find a quiet space and like feel it out. Um, and to do it as soon as you can, as soon as we can to, to feel it and be like, okay, this is coming up. I'm going to go feel this through. Um, because if we don't, if we just like, oh, that didn't happen. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just got to get through this day. got to get through this day. And then like, we never really sit down to feel through the feelings. Guess what? It's just like when we don't poop for a long time it builds up in our body and it becomes toxic stress to our system. And that's why there's like low back pain and chronic neck pain where we hold all this tension. And I like, I have been having body work for the last consistently for probably almost 10 years. And man, the first time someone told me that I stored my stress in my hips and stuff, I was like, whatever weirdo, like, okay, I'm just like, my hips are tired because I sit and I run and that's it. Um, and I've got like one leg longer than the other. And (laughs) the more I've come to know my body and the more I've come to know my emotions, the more I have come to realize that, you know, that massage therapist was right on and I store my tension, my emotions in my body and my hips and my neck, especially, Um, And I think those are common places, um, just kind of from what I know, maybe you store it in other places. Oh, the abdomen, my belly gets really tight when I'm stressed and I I forget to breathe and then that hinders digestion. And in some way, I I have a feeling that the not breathing well is related to not feeling well, not wanting to, to feel some things. Um... And I'd be curious what like Chinese medicine and like metaphysical medicine says about like that part of the body and be related to the lungs and, and the abdomen. And yeah, so like there's different, different parts of the body relate to different um, things in our, our lives, uh, which is really cool and also a topic for another time. Um, because here I am rambling again and getting off track for this little, little thing I wanted to pop on and chat to you about is turning out to probably end up being a little 15 minute addition to this episode, but that's okay. This was inspired action. I thought that this episode was going to be done and I talked about 
um, you know, what needed to be talked about. And when I say needed to be talked about, I mean, what felt right to me. And then it was like, no, there's more, there's more I want to say. There's more that I think, um, is important for other people to hear because it was important for me to hear. And, um, so if I needed to hear it, other people probably do too. So often we think that like, we're alone. We're the only ones that feel this way. It must just be me. There must be something wrong with me, but it's just not true. This is like, like I said in the first episode, this life is a a human experience and we're in this together. And so what, what's going on in my life might look different than what's going on in yours, but chances are like feeling wise some of the same things are coming up. So, um, all that said, if you made it to, uh, the end of this episode, I want you to like pat yourself on the back and I will, if I could, I would give you a huge hug because I am so grateful for you, um, listening to what I have to say and taking this time for you, taking the time to listen to something like this and think about it and maybe integrate it into your life. Or even, even if you just listen to it, like it's a big deal. We live in such a busy on the go, get shit done kind of culture to stop and ponder and self-reflect and think about, you know, um, what's going on and see, um, how we're reacting in this very moment. It's really, um, it's, it's a big deal and it's important and it is such an act of self-nourishment and self-love and yeah, I'm really happy that you're here. Um, and I'm happy for, anyone who's listened to any little, little bit of this podcast, this expression of mine that I'm so grateful to see finally taking form in, um, Oh, I'm going to get emotional and the instinct in me is to suppress it. Like I'm tearing up because I really feel so good about this and so excited for it. But then a voice in my head comes in and says, Hey, you're recording a podcast. You can't cry. Whose voice is that? Like I just sat here and was like, I want to feel my feelings more and we all need to feel our feelings more, which I wholeheartedly believe, but there's still this voice inside of me. That's like, Hey, maybe that's not safe. Hey, what are people going to think? of you sniffling and sobbing on the other end of (laughs) the microphone here. Ah, programming runs deep, my friends. Um, but I am really grateful to be in a place in my life where I can do this. And I mean that in all sorts of ways, as far as like, emotional, the emotional place that I'm in, the physical place that I'm in, the mindset, the the feeling of love and support that I have in my life. Um, yeah, I'm just so grateful. So, um, 
if you wouldn't mind carrying on that that gratitude, if, if you're grateful for this podcast, if you like it, share it with someone because that's what this is all about is just sharing experience and, and knowledge and things that might help everyone live more joyful and positive lives. And um, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, your thoughts on the podcast via a review on iTunes, that would be extra fantastic. And I'd really appreciate that. Uh, it will help get the podcast out there to more people. Um, I don't know. I don't fully understand all the rankings and stuff like that, but I know that it helps. Um, and if you would follow me on Instagram, that would be a big help as well. I can be found over there at unraveling Rachel. That's all one word. Uh, unraveling only has one L in it. So U-N-R-A-V-E-L, just that one L, I-N-G, Rachel, R-A-C-H-L. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm also trying to share more over there. And that is um, a an exercise in presence and authenticity and vulnerability and sharing without getting caught up in the um, social media comparison game and is this picture good enough to share and and can I share this with you I want to just really like share with you in a way that is inspired and feels right and really authentic and so um it may not always be polished. It's, it may not always look like totally on theme. And, you know, some Instagram accounts really do. And I'm like, wow, that has got to take so much effort because you know what? That's not fucking real life. Okay. Like I, maybe they they pay someone to do it, uh, or they just spend a lot of time. Like it's, it's, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. Um, if you would like, to follow me on Instagram and get podcast updates and just an authentic window into what's going on for me when I feel like posting on social media, head on over and follow me. And it would be great to see you there. Great to interact with you. And we can talk about this stuff some more. So for real on this episode, (laughs) until next time, um, lots of love and okay. Almost for real. Lots of love to you and and lots of love for yourself um, in the coming moments. Look at this, you know, look at your present moment and see how you can act with love and you can lean into the emotion when you meet your edge. That's what I'm going to be doing. So if you would join me in that and um, maybe we can have a little conversation on uh, Instagram or or something, or maybe I'll create a Facebook group. That'd be cool too. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who's listening or where you hang out and how you like to communicate, but it'd be cool to communicate more and we can share our experience about um, what it means to meet our edge and feel our feelings and all that stuff and and more that um, is going to come up for us in later episodes. So really for real this time, Um, lots of love to you and we'll talk soon.